Today we have Harriet Walker in the house. How are you, Harriet? Very well, thanks, Greg. Today we're going to talk about something very close to you, nutrition for strength sports. Yeah, that's my forte. Should I give a shit? Uh, well, are you a strength athlete, Greg? I love lifting stuff. Fabulous. This let's, is for you then. Let's go. Everyone listen. Welcome to the Body Science Podcast, bringing you everything you need, want and should know about health, fitness, nutrition and training. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent or manage any injury, disease or other health-related condition. Burn the fat and feed the muscles with this high-protein, low-carb, low-fat, best-tasting daily protein powder. Hydroxyburnlein 5 proteins are released in a sustained chronological order, therefore maintaining their different absorption rates, fast and slow, ensuring constant muscle fuel so you stay fit, happy and healthy. This synergistic blend also includes 17 vitamins and minerals, added carnitine, and a proprietary blend of digestive enzymes, Digizyme, and Arafti prebiotic to aid digestive health. Welcome to Body Science HQ, the world of fit, happy, healthy. Today, Harriet Walker, registered dietitian, registered sports nutritionist. Everyone's girl crush at the moment. People are digging you big time. We're getting lots of good feedback on what you do here in podcast-wise and what you're doing uh, face-to-face for us. Because I've got good hair, Greg. Good hair. Is that what it's about? Yep. Well, I won't go there, but let's talk about nutrition for strength sports. Yes, fantastic. I'm going to throw this right out. Why are we discussing this? Well, this time of year, it tends to be a pretty hot topic because we're coming into Arnold's season. So we've got bodybuilders, powerlifters, strong people all getting set for Arnold's in a few weeks' time. And we've also got um, nationals coming up for all, all the different strength sports in the first half of the year. So it's a really important topic, I think. You know, I'm seeing a lot of my clients now covering this stuff off. But also, I mean, there is a big increase in the, peop- the amount of people taking up strength sport. And I think it's kind of important to sort of make the differentiation between like nutrition for bodybuilding, say, versus nutrition for strength sports where training might be a little bit different that the actual Not as trendy either, is it? Strength sports or? No, the nutrition side of like throwing no, it No, it's like, not. It's yeah. not. And and I think, you know, a lot of people move from bodybuilding into strength sports and sometimes we get stuck in the sort of bodybuilding focus when really when we're looking at athletic performance and strength sport, there are a few different little differences that we need to kind of make people aware of. So it's so, a good topic. So it's not a one size fits all concept? No, we're definitely talking not. about. Certainly not. So when we're looking at strength sports, where I'm, you know, I'm kind of talking about Olympic lifting. We're mm. looking at strong man, strong woman. We're looking at powerlifting. We're looking at even CrossFit to an extent. Obviously, there's a bit of a hybrid in there with CrossFit. However, anything where you know the the focus is on maximal lifting and not so much on aesthetics or long duration of time, that's kind of what we're looking at when we're looking at strength sports. Still suitable for my five day a week functional trainer. Yeah, absolutely. I think where there's a component of weightlifting it's important to I suppose understand what goes in to building muscle and especially in the world where you know dieting and restrictive eating behaviors appears to be the the key which uh, you know, I've got a lot to say about that, but we want to make sure that people are actually eating adequately in order to make the most of their training as well. So less is not more when it comes to strength sports. Nice. So what are the characteristics of a strength athlete? What are you looking for when someone walks in? Well, I think there's, I mean, the, the good thing about strength sports is, is not like anybody can be a, a strength sport athlete. You don't have to, there's not necessarily a specific body type. Obviously levers, <laughs> people with, you know, short legs, long arms are normally pretty good deadlifters, yep. but uh, for the most part, 
but you know we can be working with anybody to make them a strength athlete the one thing that I think attracts people after bodybuilding say to strength-based sports is the fact that you don't leanness is not necessarily a key attribute or even advantageous in the same way that it is for bodybuilding or for like endurance sport Mm -hmm. you know with endurance sport riding running swimming you know they'll as little anything like it doesn't matter if it's muscle or fat the as as long as you're carrying as little as possible on your body the faster you're going to go whereas um yeah in strength sports you know you can you want to be carrying as much mass as possible functional mass and even extra fat mass in some cases is you know is mass moves mass so leanness is not so much a big deal muscle mass is definitely a big deal so we're looking at a higher muscle mass in strength athletes we want to be able to build the capacity to move the the weight you know there's weight classes in a lot of strength sports so olympic lifting powerlifting strongman they all have a component in the more advanced competitions they have the the weight classes so we are talking a little bit about day-to-day nutrition for strength sport but we can also i think we'll do another podcast on another day about acute weight loss for strength sports so like making weight essentially Um, that's a whole another kettle of fish um but basically long and short if you're interested in lifting up heavy things and feeling fit and strong then strength sport you know anyone can sort of turn themselves into a strength athlete and with your strength athlete coming to see you and i mean obviously you lift heavy you do a lot of where do you compete in i'm about to compete in the arnold's which mm-hmm. is good so i do strong man strong lady strong lady training it's hard to explain strong that to lady. my mum yeah nice. i, <laughs> I like compete that. in strong man mum what long story essentially yeah i've got a background in bodybuilding um i've done a lot of endurance sport as well so rowing and surfboat rowing but yeah the strength-based sport at the moment is my gig so i end up talking about this to a lot of people so do you when you talk about weight loss obviously people talk about being in a long time rut a lot and that's you know they're struggling and they get, actually get to a dietitian once they've tried everything do you have the same thing with strength athlete nutrition a little bit i think there's a bit of a transition if you've started a strength-based sport coming from another sport like it might be endurance running or it might be bodybuilding whatnot there is a bit of a paradigm shift that needs to happen for people mm-hmm. understanding that like these days there's every week there's a new weight loss diet on the market but the the good thing about strength or i think is the message is not about being as small as possible which is a really nice and positive message i mean you know it's a a contrast for for women not to want to be smaller we actually were trying to get bigger in some instances and you don't have to be huge to to weightlift obviously it's actually having a conversation about not restricting your diet it's actually reversing the conversation and encouraging people to be eating adequately in order to be able to perform properly so it can actually freak people out quite a bit when they first come to see me and they're looking at putting on some lean muscle mass actually the extra calories they get to eat but you'll find very quickly that people are pretty happy about doing that after a while well, but it's long-term performance isn't it yeah it yeah. is and and when you look at the physiological demands on the body in order to build lean muscle mass you, it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly depending on where you're starting from that you can't get anywhere eating less you need to be adding in and you need to be focusing on your diet in order to you know if you go to the gym putting in a lot training you want to be backing it up with your nutrition so when a, an athlete comes to you who's looking at like a strength athlete 
athlete. What are some of their goals they're looking at? Like what, what things are you addressing when it comes to nutrition? Well, there would be just on a very sort of top level perspective, there would be three main goals that I'm looking at in terms of strength sports nutrition. I want to be able to promote the muscular adaptations, fancy word. I want to be make, able to make sure that the people are going to the gym, they're doing the work and they can back up that work with proper nutrition. So mm-hmm. we want to make the most of those adaptations that they are stimulating in the gym. We want to make sure that they have enough of the building blocks to be able to build that muscle after their training session. And we also want to make sure that they have enough energy in the tank to be able to do the session. So we're looking at, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week, but we're also looking at that peri-training before, after training, during training. Making so you sh- are looking at bit during training nutrition? Potentially, okay. yeah, potentially. And we can we can sort of talk about intra-training nutrition at you know later in the in the podcast. Yeah, so in, essentially we want to make sure people are going in-fueled so they can do the session and they can go hard enough. And this is probably step one of paradigm shift. People actually start realising that if they've been doing like fasted cardio, if they've been doing hit sessions where the the goal has been burning calories they don't necessarily feel strong doing those sessions because the goal is you know it might have been in the past to lose weight whereas this time we're going into a training session with the goal of maxing out that session so performance is the key we want to be able to push as hard as possible because if we can't push maximally in a session we aren't necessarily going to be able to stimulate the adaptation we're not going to be able to stress the body enough to get a change if i'm half-assing training I'm not going to be able to push my body to the point where it goes, oh, I need to change. Whereas we need to be able to fuel so that I can push my body enough to go, oh, that was too hard. I need to be better next week. And that sort of kickstarts the adaptation, the muscle growth adaptation after trainings. Okay. So we're looking for change. We're using food and there's a lot of energy involved in that. What systems are we looking at with strength sports like the fuel mix? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when you look at powerlifting, like uh, you know the the lift is only like two three four seconds depending on how long you haven't seen caffeine is. yet what's going on <laughs> <laughs> sorry i didn't mean to throw you off then <laughs> um or caffeine is always an issue <laughs> when we're looking at those short sort of phosphagen systems when we're doing short sharp lifts but yep. when we move into strongman we could be going for up to a minute and sometimes so we've, we're going into that sort of bit more glycolytic glycolysis in those sort of sessions but Do you just want to explain what that is for the people out there that may not know yeah so when we're looking at energy systems you know we've got the short sharp you know, we're using the energy that's stored in our muscles immediately and that lasts yeah. about 10 seconds. And then as we go through sort of more glycolysis, we've got a little bit more oxygen to use to burn as energy. We might be that sort of the more endurance based. And then we've got that sort of middle ground where we're using a little bit of glucose from our bloodstream and in our muscles. And we're also using a little bit of oxygen to release energy as well. So when we're working with strength athletes, we are working in timeframes of anywhere from, you know, two seconds to get the bar up if it's a nice quick lift. But we also might be working up to a minute. So we need to sort of look at energy systems a little bit when it comes to strength sports. We don't need to necessarily be fueling in the same way that we would an endurance athlete where, you know, glycogen depletion is a possibility after over 90 minutes of continuous movement. But we also want to make sure that the athlete has enough fuel in the tank. We're not probably going to be burning out glycogen in a a weightlifting session, but we're going to feel pretty uncomfortable doing maximal lifts. And it takes, you know, three to five minutes to actually recover from a maximal lift like mm. a 1RM rep max so you know we're looking at that stuff when it comes to strength based sports
sports. So what are you? What type of things are you looking at from the training perspective? If someone comes to you and says, I'm a strength athlete, I'm doing this, A, B, C, D. What type of things are you looking for? Like obviously they're coming to you because fatigue is a driver. Is that is that where we're at here? I mean, Yeah. I mean, it's a, fatigue's a big one, especially going into a new training regime. Yep. I, I think for people that don't quite understand, if they've never done a strength program before, it can be quite a shock. Not because, I mean, again, when you're doing an endurance space, like a hit session or a cardio session, you get that feedback back straight away you get to like as soon as you finish the session you're like i'm zonked whereas with weightlifting you might not feel sweaty and gross all the time like you might only be doing 10 reps in a session you know, on a big big heavy day but the fatigue afterwards is definitely something that people feel and it can take them actually longer to recover from a strength-based session when i finish a cardio session like once my heart rate's back down to normal i might have done a little bit of damage but you know i've recovered fairly quickly whereas because of the extent of the damage to the muscle in a in a weight session we're getting a little bit more of a cumulative effect of fatigue across a training session week and so i mean when we're looking at fatigue we want to like with strength sports the you know the ability to produce force is a really big part like force yeah yep. force okay, yep. so that's the critical part of it so as we see people go through the week their ability to if they're not fueling properly their ability to produce that force becomes limited and that's normally due to sort of a cumulative effect of fatigue across the week so if we're not taking looking at our post-training refueling, that's going to become more and more apparent as they go. So I'm not sure if this is a silly question or not, but say someone is suffering from what you, you just talked about there. Say they do fuel up the next day. Is it instant comeback? Where are we at? Like, what's, Is there any research in relation to the continuity of that nutrition program versus a quick um, backup? There probably is research on that. I wouldn't know any sort of studies just off the top of my head. But in mm-hmm. terms of being able to recover adequately, definitely going to be a benefit if you are consistent with getting you know, carbohydrates to replenish whatever energy that you might have used in that training session. Adequate protein spread out, distributed across the day evenly because we're not just recovering in the hour after a training session. We're recovering in the 24, 48 hours yep. that it takes to sort of allow your muscle to remodel, to grow and all that kind of gig, repair the damage that's been done. Consistency with nutrition post-training whilst that anabolic window gig you know, is not necessarily gospel um, it definitely is an important period in that, that you know the hour two hours after training but we also for a strength athlete we need to be looking 24 hours like around the clock essentially making sure that w- again we've got that sort of adequate energy in order to grow the muscle adequate protein in order to build you know the building blocks for muscle and also that we're resting as well so you can't necessarily get away with the same sort of amount of sessions unless it's the program that you're doing is specifically designed to overreach we can't get away with overreaching as much as we can with say cardio when we're looking at strength athletes so what Um, happens to us over weeks of hard training essentially i mean we're building up that sort of lean muscle so when we when we do a training session it's sort of too hard we're sort of causing that sort of micro tears in the muscle and our body has to sort of upregulate the cells like the i suppose the cellular material in order to build more lean muscle mass and that means that next time we come back we've increased the capacity of the muscle to lift more and also we've got that neurological adaptation 
adaptation so that our body is actually used to recruiting that many muscle fibers in order to lift heavier. So we've kind of got two things going on. We've got the actual physical growth of the muscle, but we've also got that neurological adaptation to training whereby, you know, we're, we're able to recruit more efficiently. You know, we're about able to recruit a lot more muscle fibers to lift that as well. So it's a technique thing just as much as it is, you know, a, an actual physical capacity to, to lift more. But as we go through like a training program, we'll be sort of building week upon week with those sort of two things. And there's a little bit of cardiovascular fitness involved in in, in weights training. I think people kind of miss that as well. I mean, they always, the joke among, you know, the strong folk is, you know, anything more than five reps is cardio. Yeah. Um, and you do feel your heart rate going <laughs> up. So anyone who refutes that, I, I would say that it's definitely, a, there's a, a component of cardio in there. So just while we're touching on um, the during training fatigue, what about hydration? Is it just as important as a food for a, a strength yeah, athlete? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. When you look at the comp- composition of the muscle fiber, I mean, A, from a fatigue perspective, you know, we we know that we get a little bit of fatigue when we're not hi- properly hydrated. Cognitive function is not as good, but our muscle is, is a really large component of water in the muscle. So we want to be making sure that hydration levels, you know, hydration across the board with sports nutrition, you know, can be missed by many people. But when we're looking at the composition of the, the muscle fiber, it makes sense that if it's, you know, our body is adequately hydrated, that, you know, we're going to be performing better as well. So yeah, definitely one to tick off ensuring that there's adequate hydration across the day, starting the day hydrated, but also going into training sessions hydrated as well. And the characteristics of a strength athlete sport is what, how many, three to seven sessions a week? Well, it depends. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it depends on the the type of lifting that you're doing. We say like a bodybuilding, you know, we're looking at it like an upper body, lower body split, or we might be, you know, splitting up the body into different muscle groups. It tends to be a little bit different with say like powerlifting, strongman, Olympic lifting. You'll do your main lifts, yep. like you might do your compound lifts, and then there might be a little bit of accessory work towards the end. But you might be doing as little as three sessions a week and you'd still be able to get some good runs on the board. And especially for people who are busy, knowing that you can only do, you know, if you can only do three sessions, we can get some good runs on the board. But coming into competition or you might be doing a bit of a phase of overload, you could be training up to sort of seven sessions a week. Some people sort of 10 sessions a week, depending on how hardcore you are. But again modulating your nutrition according to how many times a week you train as well so this is when we can implement you know training day nutrition versus rest day nutrition as well and shaking it up a little bit with that yeah it depends on the the type of lifting that you're doing you know olympic lifting there's the you know again the the key lifts for olympic lifting snatch clean and jerk and then there'll always be the sort of accessory work but it might it might be more work up front and then some some lighter stuff during the week or you know depending on how your training session is um split up but then with like a crossfit athlete they are they're a strength athlete it's important that they can move weight quickly however they need to balance that out probably a lot more carefully than sort of the other lifters as well because they've got so many modalities that they need to train across their nutrition will will vary greatly as well and generally it's just sort of a calories thing as well so just maintaining a neutral position here harriet like obviously the best diet to follow is keto or um, some type of carnivore Carnivore. (laughs) no let's be honest snake diet oh oh, oh, wow that's going to get some haters obviously you're thinking vegan we're going to throw it left and right what is like vegan carnivore keto where am i paleo what am i doing here i'm a a strength athlete what should who should i be watching what should i be looking at i definitely think you should look at instagram for nutrition advice (laughs) perfect Um, you should find an influencer with at least a million followers and look out for the hashtag you're um, a couple short of a million but what's why we've got you what is your um instagram so i'm at athletic eating and look to be honest with you i'm not i'm not that prolific so i'm 
my ads hashtag ads aren't as prolific, but you know, hoping to I like work your on Instagram that. Account. I think why, it's good. Why? Thank you. I've been yeah. working very hard on that. Do you lift heavy? Like speaking of lifting heavy, like we're just a little ad in the middle for Harriet here. Like if you need a dietitian that can lift, what's your deadlift? Well, I'm working around the 135, 140 at the moment, which I have to say, amongst my strong lady friends, is a bit like piss weak, actually. Okay. However, it does sound impressive at, at general population parties. Oh, I like the number. It was a big number for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm pressing sort of 60, 65 overhead at the moment, which is fun. Young shoulders. Well, this Arnold's prep has really gotten the shoulders popping. Haven't done this in a while, so we might have to widen the doorways here, actually. Yeah, I'm, on the way I'm through. I'm going through nice. sideways at the moment. It's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> so let's talk nutrition. What does it take to build extra muscle? Well, there's three key things that we are looking at when it comes to building muscle, and it's pretty simple, and then we can build the sort of information into this. But essentially, you need solid training stimulus. So you need to be training in a manner that actually, you know, wrecks you enough for your body to want to change. We need to make sure that we have adequate protein intake. So yep. protein building being the building blocks of muscle. And then we need adequate Do you have a per calories. kilo number there we can look yeah, at? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, general population, you know, the recommendation is around the 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight. You're good sedentary sitting if on the butt person. If you're public yep. service, sitting down, <laughs> doing not much, that's probably fine. Stand However, up, people go for a walk. Absolutely. Right yep. now, go for a walk with this podcast. But for us strong people, depending on training age and training volume, I'm normally hitting around the 1.5 to 2 grams per kilo of body weight of protein. If I've got somebody who's doing a weight cut and I want them to maintain their lean muscle mass, but I'm cutting their calories a little bit, unfortunately, poor thing, um, we are probably looking at bumping that up just a wee bit, up to sort of maybe 2.5 to 3 grams. That's that's fairly extreme and that's mm-hmm. a lot of protein to be eating. Like yep. It's actually quite hard for people to get that in, but that's sort of preservation of lean muscle mass in a caloric deficit does require that higher amount of protein to be consumed. But yeah, so 1.5 to 2 is normally a good one. 1.5 is very doable. 2 starts becoming a lot of chicken, but you know, it, it helps. It all helps because, you know, again, it's so important to the being able to build that muscle. Why chicken? Oh, I just said chicken. It yeah. could be any protein source. So okay. I would also encourage people to go for a variety of protein sources. So, you know, lean meats, eggs, dairy, whey protein. I find shakes I have to include a lot more frequently when I am doing like a bit of a weight cut or if I am doing a heavy training session because I do find it hard to eat. Simplicity. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Portable. Convenience. And yeah, so varying it up a little bit as well. Again, And you, and you mentioned whey and just picking your brain here from a sports supplement point of view. Yes. Not a whey casein blend. You're, you're definitely a whey person after a strength session. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think the, the difference between using, like obviously there is a a slighter delay in absorption with casein. It's a slower absorbing protein. And what's important here to get some up quickly, get it all in quickly, where are we at? Distribution is probably the most important thing rather than speed. As long as if you think about like your amino acid pool, when we eat protein, it gets broken down into amino acids and those amino acids are the individual building blocks. And when I need to build a protein in my body, my muscle might be like, yo, body, I need to, I've just done a weight lifting session and we need to get, we need to enhance the capacity of that muscle for next time. So the body will call upon the amino acids that are, you know, the, that are the components of lean muscle mass and use those amino acids to build muscle. If we're low in even one of those amino acids, it means that that whole process is slowed up. So by ensuring that we have adequate pulses of protein across the day means that at any time we can be calling up, up you know, from a pulling from amino acid pool to build proteins in our body. So yep. distribution is probably the most important part timing becomes more important if you are in a calorie deficit so if you're cutting weight or if you're bodybuilder or whatever that's when timing is probably more critical 
mm-hmm. but for the most part, eating regular meals, whether it's four to six meals per day, that comes down to personal preference. Hitting the, I think it's 0.3 grams per kilo of body weight per meal would be the recommendation based off research by somebody who I cannot remember. But we'll put a link below this I where you can go out. and have a look at it at bodyscience.com.au forward slash podcast. That's it. So you mentioned earlier, and I'm going to touch on this because I know you hate talking about it, the anabolic window. You, you mentioned that before, like you potentially have a lot of new people going to write to you soon. What's the go with that? Like back in the old day, it was all about that 30 to 40 minutes after training, 20 if you were really, you know, yeah, that yeah, one yeah. percenter. So I remember reading, I can't remember the name of the book, but it was probably one of my first like bodybuilding books I read like first year uni and I was like, yeah, this is the Bible. I'm going to make sure I have my protein <laughs> shake as I'm walking out the door. Otherwise, my finger is going to be slammed and the anabolic window will be closed. You know, when we are training, post-training, there tends to be a shift in the body's machinery, cellular machinery that mm-hmm. says that we're we're ready to make some changes in that post-training period. So the body is in a heightened sense state for change. So we've got, you know, the, the cells are ready to take up nutrients a little bit more so in that post-training period. So getting nutrition in and recovering from that session is super important because we've got a little bit of a competitive advantage in that hour or so after training. So it's not a completely defunct theory. It's just it's not as important and as critical as if I have an adequate diet across the day, I buy myself a little bit of leeway with that anabolic window. So talk, okay, so talking timing, if I'm going to bed at eight o'clock, had a feed at six and I'm getting up at five o'clock and hitting the gym and doing a, a, a power session, yep. I haven't eaten before I go. Naughty. 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 Or look, it, it kind of depends. If that's something that you do habitually, your body gets used to that. Okay. So it probably does come down to personal preference and ha- habit. Look, it's always going to be ideal to get protein around your training. That message doesn't really change. And also we're looking at that amino acid pool. We want to be make sure that those substrates are ready to build as required. Are you going into a training session ready to go hard if you are mildly fasted? I would say, look, if, if that's what you do, then it's probably fine. Could you be doing better? Maybe. I mean, that's an annoying answer. But I would always say... Can someone remove the fence post? I'm sitting on it, Greg. You can't, <laughs> you can't move it. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's important to sort of go, okay, what's the, what's the goal here? Am, am I trying to fast or am I trying to build lean muscle mass? And, you know, most of the research and most of the evidence is pointing towards the fact that going into a training session with a fuel tank that is full is going to be more beneficial than trying to stress your body out that little bit more by being fasted. That's kind of where that's kind of where the answer is at. More is more. Okay. This could be a really stupid question. What type of macros are we running? Strength athlete program, like just ball, ballpark. I know everyone's different. Yeah, I get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's different. It's going to open that fence up, okay? Soon. <laughs> open the gate. Again, personal preference is a big one. Yeah. But when I always start with protein intake and we, mm-hmm. we touched on it just before. So when I'm putting together a plan for somebody, I'm first my first port of call is figuring out how many calories this person currently having, how many calories do they need to have, what's their training load, volume, frequency, da-da-da-da. Then I, my first stop is um, with macros is protein. So I'm making sure that they're hitting that 1.5 to 2 grams per kilo body weight of protein, yep. first stop. So in, in terms of percentages, I don't really use that because that can get quite skewed according to 
actually how many calories that person is eating. Okay. So I'd normally go off grams per kilo of body weight. Then I'd be looking at carbohydrate intake. Some people enjoy a higher carb diet. And I would say for the most part, if you're working with athletes, and yet that's going to be the most appropriate course to take. Strength athletes, though, however, like we're not maxing out a glycogen all the time. So we can probably afford to be slightly lower carb than, say, an endurance athlete. So that's where we can have a little bit of wiggle room. If somebody is on a lower carb diet, I will be preferencing carbohydrate around their training and it might be as sort of low for some people as 2, 2.5 grams per kilo of body weight which is, is quite low for somebody who's active but for somebody who's trying to gain weight during like a massive a massing cycle trying to put on some muscle we might be putting them up to 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 grams per kilo of body weight depending okay. on how big the person is but you know having worked with some people who are sort of sitting up at the 110, 120 kilos I love making those meal plans because they're just delicious so they look many, good on paper so many good calories yeah. in there and I'm like yes nice I want to be heavyweight. <laughs> and where are you at with fat? Fats. And then I suppose once I've got carbs and fats, I mean, carbs and proteins sort of sorted out, I'm looking at fat intake, absolutely. And it's, it's super important macronutrient in terms of micro, so vitamin absorption, absorption yeah. but also from a hormonal perspective, really important to have adequate protein, uh, sorry, adequate fat intake to ensure sort of the athlete is hormonally healthy. And, you know, we can see during a weight cut, you know, fat is the macronutrient that has the most calories in it. And that, that's the one that tends to get dropped because of that fact. Hence the chicken mm-hmm. and lean, lean meats. But we want to be ensuring, you know, rule of thumb would be somewhere around one gram minimum per kilo of body weight. But that can be upwards just depending on the calorie budget of the person. And are you digging into the fat type? Oh, you know, absolutely. We want to make sure that like, I don't dig into it too hard, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But I am encouraging people to eat real food food whole foods and then when that happens they're looking at the quality of the 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 fat we did do a good podcast on fats which we could probably tap um, circle back to for people who want to find out more about fat types but monounsaturated polyunsaturated fats oily fish nuts seeds avocado those sorts of ones are ones i'm going for we are going to get some fats from meat as well there'll be a little bit of saturated fat in that but as long as there's a variety there and they're eating mainly whole foods i don't think you can go too wrong with the fat profile there's probably a lot more information that could go into that but probably just for the yeah. For the sake of simplicity here today, you know, whole foods and variety is probably the key for that. And how do those macros differ to, say, the 98 gym world where the crew's doing six sessions minimum a week, they're uh, monitoring performance, Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're so, pushing limits, they're doing team events around all that. Yeah. So out of your traditional strength, strength. athlete. If you're just doing straight strength powerlifting, you might yep. be doing four sessions a week. You've got a good amount of time to recover from yep. them. You're not looking at running marathons yep. or doing a you know whatever in between there's quite a big difference and i would really be looking at preferencing carbohydrates and protein and obviously fats are like in there as well yeah. but i'm ensuring that they're having adequate carbohydrates to actually fuel those training sessions because some of them hit an hour 45 minutes oh absolutely yeah. when you look at someone like kate hilliard's training legend volume absolute legend huge huge volume and to be able to sort of back up you need to be resting you need to be eating because otherwise you know you're not you're not when we talk about like training at adaptations you you're you're cutting yourself short in terms of the adaptations you can get if you think about trying to put an extension on the house when we're doing exercise we are wanting to build lean muscle mass which requires more bricks but we also want that cellular adaptation for um, looking specifically at the 98 sort of sessions they're looking at cellular adaptations increasing mitochondria which are the energy oxygen sort of powerhouses of the cell they want to build muscle but they also want to build the capacity of the cell we're making sure that they're um having adequate carbohydrates and total calories
calories, protein to recover from there as well. So when we're doing, so I suppose that would come under probably more of a CrossFit-y style. Oh, they'll love you saying that. I'm going to get burnt at the steak. You're in um, trouble. Steak. Well, you, they, know, you can mul- bring it back with steak down there because mm-hmm. they don't mind a few steaks down there. Multi-modality training, we'll call it. You know, you, you have to pay nice. more attention to your nutrition. Multi-modality training. Mm. So do you look after Kate? Do you do her? We have worked together. You yes. talk together? Yes, yes. I hope you don't mind us talking about you for a second, Kate. But Kate's a vegan athlete. Yes, she is. So how do you get around what she's doing? I mean, she's got a couple of world records on the skier. Yep. How do you get around her diet from a vegan perspective? Because you've, you've focused heavily on protein is a key thing here mm-hmm. in relation mm-hmm. to strength athletes. What are you doing? And I'm going to get crucified for saying vegans don't have protein. That's not what I'm saying. How are you addressing that with Kate? Because well, she's not just doing the sessions there. She's off swimming, running and Absolutely. going to other. She, she's just a nut really when yeah, you think about you it. Do a, a s- He's a weapon, I should say. Seven seven minute 2K erg and then roll over and do a 150 kilo deadlift. That's pretty impressive. So So what are you doing for her? What have you two discussed, I should say? We've talked about the types of protein and where she gets protein from. You know, nuts, seeds. We use the clean protein with her as well, the vegan protein, the bars as well. Um, Was that protein again? No, I'm joking. Are the clean bars? The clean bars as well, good snack. But I'm also looking at carbohydrates around the training. Yeah, but the protein intake is probably the one that we're looking at, focusing at the most, plus her micronutrients as well because iron b12 omegas omega-3s probably the key ones that we're looking at a little more challenging on a vegan diet yeah Yeah. you just have to be more diligent there's no worries with being a vegan athlete and total energy intake as well and just making sure she has the capacity to do what she does best and looking at her goals for the year and i suppose periodizing her nutrition accordingly so probably a little bit more energy at some stages through the year and then we can ease back on the energy intake and go for a bit more of an adaptation phase and other areas of the year as well so with vegans vegetarians it's it's just be, being aware of what you might be missing out on from certain food groups and just being across where you can get those sources from and where you might need to use some smart supplementation and standing behind her someone like kev tunan who's carnivore at the moment how do you deal with because i know you do kev's dietetics how do you and obviously you didn't you're not the one who suggested you should do carnivore how do you work with kev on his performance in relation to when he's eating carnivore well that's uh, i don't really want to answer that greg question so me and kevin have cut ties <laughs> <laughs> you're out kev but is kev using carbs at certain times around certain performance aspects Look, at, at this stage I, I don't think he i think he was just doing the experimentation oh outside of sorry outside of his i know he's experimenting with carnival but yeah. he eats a fairly meat heavy diet yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the message is the same like when we're he's probably having, him and i send meat pictures to each other yeah yeah, yeah, yeah meat nice. shopping that type of stuff check my steak out bro <laughs> look it, it'd be the same thing like there's going to be an element ad- of adaptation to anybody who's reduced their carbohydrate intake so yeah. he's probably become more efficient at utilizing fats and protein in some cases as energy so if that's the case you know hypothetically speaking you know taking on a lower carb diet you will adapt to that and your body will upregulate the machinery in the cell that utilizes fat as energy it's the same with ketogenic it's the same with any other sort of low carb style of eating so yeah essentially look if that's sort of the there's probably a period of two three months where that's occurring i like you know i'll still fall back and say that carbohydrates if you want to go far you want to go on carbs but you can adapt so i'm not saying that it's completely you know impossible for an athlete to be fast if they're doing a low carb diet and that's not the case we we do have those people who appear to be like highly functional so there are n equals one out there but for the most part in terms of performance we see that low carb might be something that you'd utilize during an adaptation phase to stress the body out that little bit extra so that once you add in the carbohydrates you're more efficient 
there is some evidence, especially sort of by Louise Burke, who's shown that we might actually be impairing our use of carbohydrates by going low carb rather than adapting to it. So, you know, we want to look at what do you want your diet to look like, look like long term? And if there are carbohydrates in your future, I would, I would wonder if it might be beneficial to at least ensure that you are able to process them because we do, again, see that down regulation of the machinery associated with carbohydrate utilization once we stop using it because it's no it's not required in the body and also we'd probably see a, a bit of a change in our bacteria profile in our gut accordingly as well because you know the we'll be starving out those sort of the carbohydrates loving well the the bacteria that are more associated with sort of a fibrous yeah. diet as opposed to a non-fibrous carnivore diet so if you're long term you know your goal is to eat a omnivorous diet is long-term reduction in those foods beneficial look it might be for personal experimentation which is like totally fine we're yeah. all adults i'd, I'd want to be just me making sure that you're able to do both I, I again i'm always going for metabolic flexibility over rigidity what do you mean by metabolic flexibility i want to be able to use carbs efficiently i also want to be able to use fats efficiently and i want to be efficient at swapping between the two so this is a sort of a, a concept that is becoming more prolific amongst athletes is i you know i might put in a adaptation phase into one of my athletes plan whereby they're going into a session fasted or they're going into a session low carb we're pushing those adaptations in the cell up regulating the mitochondrial biogenesis big word for basically making sure that we've got more of those energy producing units in the cell and we might do that for a block of four weeks so we might take them low carb for four weeks but it might be relative low carb it might be low carb for the first half of the day and then we replenish them so we can shift carbs around and still get that same adaptation without going classically low carb and so that would be an adaptation phase whereas we might be going for a performance phase when we know that the person is going to be if you want to go balls to wall all out effort they're going on carbs and they're the people who tend to be winning and that's sort of based off sort of research as well so we might be able to go pretty darn well on a high fat diet but if we want to be winning stuff generally speaking we're looking at carbs as the substrate that's doing that so harriet let's uh Let's start to summarise this. Day-to-day nutrition for a strength athlete. Cool. So the first place I would be starting at is when are you training? So some people train in the morning, some people train at lunchtime, some people train multiple times during the day, da da da, da. First thing is assessing where the training session is and then I will generally be concentrating carbohydrate intake before and after as well as protein intake pulsed across the day. So ensuring that every meal, every main meal, I'm having a source of quality protein. No donuts. There is always room room for donuts beautiful especially in the strongman community yes love a good donut what other goals we're looking at we are looking at ensuring adequate calories so Mm -hmm. looking at the body composition of the person sitting in front of me when i'm saying this stuff we have to make sure that if i'm working with a lean individual we're adding in calories because it takes around 2500 to 3000 calories to build half a kilo of muscle there's actually quite a lot of extra calories so if we're looking at an extra half a kilo of muscle a week we want to be adding in around a sort of extra 3000 thousand calories to that person's diet across the week if we're working with somebody who has a little bit of extra body fat to roll with the calorie surplus doesn't have to be as aggressive because if they're looking at losing a little bit of fat gaining a little bit of muscle the if we have them in a, a mild energy deficit they're not going to be as at as much of a disadvantage because the fat stores in their body are going to help okay. buffer that deficit so anything about balance between long-term health and short-term health we should be looking at in our day-to-day nutrition absolutely so with a strength-based athlete 
athlete day to day we want to be making sure that we're also getting in those micronutrients as well so we're looking at diet quality we're not just looking at macros we want to be making sure <laughs> that you know we're meeting calories we're, we're hitting our protein target fat target carbohydrate target but we're also including lots of color in our diet generally oh, i was speaking. waiting for the color bit let's color that plate up dietitians love, love talking about <laughs> color anthracyanins polyphenols it's funny people mock but they're still not doing it exactly i was in a room yesterday with a group of people and i asked how many people were eating enough vegetables and zero were so until people start eating properly like adults i will keep telling people to eat vegetables well you're gonna make a good grandma one day <laughs> eat your uh, hopefully i don't have to keep saying this hopefully people will actually do it we want to be making sure that long term there's that sort of health in yep. there as well and they're very they can go hand in hand absolutely and are you working on outside of and i'll use the basic word macros here you're looking at things like inflammation you're looking at joint health and creating Anti- meal plans yeah look i mean that's always a component in there as well for yep. the nature of strength sports there's going to be a lot of stress on the body there's mm. going to be a lot of inflammation in the body so we're you know educating people about what foods are anti-inflammatory and surprise surprise a lot of the foods that we would eat as a part of a healthy diet are anti-inflammatory there you go madness I know. Donuts, unfortunately, not anti-inflammatory. Someone needs to bring out an anti-inflammatory, low-fat or fat-burning donut. There, um, it's all about the delivery. Let's drop everything. Go make that donut. Would you like the drink version, the tablet version or the donut version? <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned metabolic flexibility. Is there anything day-to-day nutrition we should be looking at there? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean periodizing your training periodizing your nutrition to match that yep. so if you're trying to lean out to get into a, a weight class you might be looking at reducing carbohydrates for a small amount of time we also have to balance that out with performance and if you're going through an adapt uh, you know a performance phase we want to be increasing the carbohydrate intake there as well so you know we want to be able to use both carbs and fats as our fuel substrate but knowing what your goals are is probably the first step and then we can kind of you know manage your nutrition around that and then we look at sort of long-term nutrition versus acute weight cuts and that's definitely something I do a lot of work in um, weight cuts for sport but again I think that's a whole other sort of kettle of fish that we yeah, might do another into. one on that so what about you've, you've talked about competition day and leading up to competition what about after competition is there you know we, you've heard the term reverse dieting reverse and all types dieting. of things thrown around in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the world so yeah where are you at after competition is it just straight down for pizza and donuts or is it generally yes yeah. yes it is I mean, if I told a strong man or pal if that they weren't allowed pizza and donuts I need your vegetables. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I would be thrown out of yeah, the arena okay. and they probably could do it too. Uh, recovery really depends on what their lead-in was like. Mm-hmm. If, if you know, they've done a weight cut, then we're looking at you know increasing their calorie intake back up. But you know recovery is the same as post-training as well after a competition. But there's also probably a little bit more of a requirement for rest post-training. And again, that stress, inflammation, we want to make making sure that the diet is adequate enough to support the recovery after like you know event day is quite stressful on the body you know you want to nap every five minutes in between events it just shows you know the adrenaline and the stress of a competition day is is huge not jumping straight back into training and expecting your body to do what it was doing a week ago is really important it might be up to like a month where mentally you are in this stage where you could get back into training properly it's like with anything there's a big build up to a competition and there is generally speaking a corresponding low after that 
that and that's motivation wise you've asked a lot of your body generally speaking you're hanging on by the skin of your teeth going into competition expecting your body to bounce back and also not to put on body fat after competition having reduced your training volume and probably eating more you know we got to just be aware that there is a washout period from any competition any large event in life there's a washout period so post-competition blues whether it's bodybuilding whether it's strongman whether it's powerlifting whether it's olympic lifting is a thing and just being mentally aware for that and i always sort of encourage people to have you know have a couple of weeks where you're just eating ad lib no worries and also enjoying your training again so go do something different for a little bit afterwards just to get your mojo back a bit and then getting back into it being sensible but just being aware that there is for most people a washout there is a bit of like a who am i what am i doing kind of feeling but that fact that you know that passes and if you're aware of it it passes a lot quicker because you're expecting it so you've talked about look just summary we're a sports nutrition company and make sports nutrition so i'm going to throw this one out there you've talked about potential to incorporate protein powders whether vegan or whey based or whey casein based uh, what else are you getting people to take in, in strength athletes well when we're talking about energy production and performance with those short sharp bursts i'm definitely looking at a creatine supplement for all most strength athletes if yep. they want to take a supplement so creatine assists with the energy production basically you can go faster for longer so that's definitely something i would be looking at caffeine finally got it in finally got it in My good old friend, caffeine. Yeah, definitely. Look, there's day-to-day caffeine consumption, which for some people might be two cups of coffee a day, 180 milligrams. But then we've got the actual dosage for performance enhancement, and that's sort of sitting up the sort of three milligrams per kilo body weight. There's, you know, some studies that show upwards sort of that sort of six milligrams per kilo body weight, which is really high. But we're not taking that habitually day-to-day, are we, Greg? No, we're not. <laughs> we're using that as a performance enhancement. We'll define day-to-day later. Our hour uh no we're looking at that three milligrams as a rule of thumb per kilo of body weight as a performance um, enhancement i would be looking at the timing of caffeine during training mm-hmm. so sort of half an hour before a big training session giving it time to kick in if you're training at night time caffeine can impair your ability to recover so taking sort of large doses of caffeine after say four o'clock because caffeine's got a half-life of about six hours give or take the person i would be looking at whether or not that's going to be hindering the recovery process so it's a risk versus reward is the benefit of taking caffeine at night time going to outweigh the risk of not being able to sleep afterwards i'm not a dietitian but i'm going to say yes yep absolutely <laughs> and then also looking at on competition day when you take it so yeah, that's a big one actually yeah so i like to push caffeine intake like i might get an athlete who habitually takes caffeine i wouldn't start anything that you haven't done before on competition day but i might look at caffeine you know they might have their initial morning coffee which is like a sort of a slow start to the day but targeting caffeine towards the latter events especially for strong men there's five events in a in a day and then generally they're 45 to an hour between events it's yep. just enough time to get really sleepy mm. <laughs> and really like low so um i generally would tell people to use caffeine in the latter half of the day just to perk you up the first couple of events you're normally pretty sparky as the the fatigue load increases across the day and this might be the same for powerlifting you've got nine lifts olympic lifting i think 
it might be six. And then CrossFit again, you might have four, three wads across the day. I'd be utilizing caffeine towards the latter end of the day. What just... about around food? Where are you at with around food with caffeine? Um, on, on that comp day where you, you're using it multiple times during the day for performance benefit? Doesn't matter? Off the top of my head, I, I, there probably is an interaction with food and, and absorption. I don't actually know the off the top of my head, but I am making sure like on comp day that the you know regular snacks across the day as well to keep the blood sugar levels yep. nice and high. But I'm really yeah, looking at back ending the, the caffeine intake towards the latter end of the day to give them a bit of a pep up when they're feeling quite sleepy because you know we get that fatigue from lifting weights and the adrenaline, we get a corresponding loo after that. So using the anti-fatigue properties of caffeine to boost people up. So I would use like a caffeine supplement around then. I actually really like the chaos yep. pre-trainer for that because you've got the creatine component as well as that's the caffeine, caffeine component. Yeah. So it's quite nice. It's pretty simple but effective. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. And then look, depending on the person, if they're in a calorie deficit, if they're doing a weight cut, I might be looking at other supplements for them just according to the individual. Female athletes, I'm definitely screening them for low iron. So I might be looking at an iron supplement. I might be looking at a general uh, multivitamin just in case if they are in a low calorie date, just as a insurance policy in essence. And also looking at maybe potentially a, a fish oil in some cases if their habitual intake of omega-3s is quite low, just as a general sort of broad brushstrokes kind of gig. Nice. Well, that is Harriet Walker, registered dietitian, registered sports dietitian. Accredited sports dietitian. Accredited, sorry, is the right word to use there. Harriet, your website is athleticeating.com.au and same with my Instagram handle at athleticeating for all the fun sports nutrition facts and recipes. Get on board with Harriet. She knows the goods. She lifts heavy. Game out. We're finished. Enjoy people. Thank you. Bye. Today's podcast was brought to you by our partners in Fit, Happy and Healthy, ASN, Nutrition Warehouse, DY Discount Vitamins, Fat Burners Only, Evelyn Fay, Mr. Supplement or find a retailer online at bodyscience.com.au forward slash retailers.